the type of work that I do is not just the final result, but it's also the process and the education around that process. I need to be able to give the knowledge that I have back. My name is Louise Newsom, entrepreneur and host of The Makers, where we tell the stories of how everyday creatives turn their passion into a sustainable business. On this episode, you'll meet Mia Wright-Ross. I was immediately drawn to her amazing product line, an intrinsic collection of handcrafted leather lifestyle accessories. It was clear to me that this lady was going places, and my feelings were confirmed when I heard she had won a fellowship from the Museum of Arts and Design in New York City, which now houses her studio. nice and noisy in yes, here today because we're in actually the Museum of Arts and Design yes. in Columbus Circle in New York City and uh, we're up in the studios. Yes, the art, artist studios on the sixth floor. So what we're hearing now is a bunch of kids who come <laughs> up to do, are they doing a project here? Yeah, so we, they do like uh, weekly visits to the museum and also the kids are able to like make art and see the exhibitions. They'll come visit us as well um, to get like a full feeling of what it is like to be an artist and just dabble into the art world for a little while. So you were born in Virginia. Yes, Richmond, Virginia, born and raised. Yeah. Still have my 804 phone number, still have my ID. I will be a Virginia girl to the day I die. When did you come to New York? I'm um, in 2007 to go to school. So I left home to come and go to Parsons from undergrad and stayed, just stayed. Right. <laughs> just stayed? Right. Yeah, I mean, it's the fashion capital, so. It is the hot I got piece. a job. Like, I was like, all right, I'm not coming back. And I also knew I wasn't going to go back to Virginia. When I graduated, my dad was like, so you're ready to come back? I was like, no, guy. Well, your roots will always stay with you. You know, I've been yeah. in this country almost 30 years. And I always have to say this expression is that you can take the girl out of Liverpool, but you can't get the Liverpool out of yeah, the girl. Yeah, and, and, but that's what I love. Like, even, like, my accent, everything, people still recognize it. And yeah. I, I'm like, that's because I'm not from New York. Like, I may look like I'm born and raised in New York. Even a lot of my friends who are born and raised here, they think, like, I'm from here. And I'm like, no, I'm a little country church Virginia girl. And came um, to the big city. Yeah, came to the big city. How was that? Was that overwhelming? It was. I think it was more of a culture shock. Like, when I moved to New York, I was living on 13th Street. They had a dorm. Chelsea was still crazy. 14th Street was still crazy. It's a very different place now. My family's very Christian, grew up in Baptist church, so it was a lot of that cultural shift. Walking down the street and hearing so many different languages. Like, for the most part, all the people I grew up with were from Virginia. Their families were from Virginia. And just the extreme poverty versus like the extreme wealth in New York, for the most part, that was most shocking. Like going to a private art institution and seeing like me struggling to go sell like books at Strand to make sure I had a MetroCard and then friends who were buying Birkin bags left and right was like... Well, now you're making those bags. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, and also just seeing, seeing like the difference of appreciation for art in the process, yeah. even in that too. So what do you think it was about your upbringing that gave you the confidence to kind of move away from a small town mm -hmm. and com comfortable with your community all around you yeah. to this city that's metropolis? I mean, I've always been a weirdo. So <laughs> if my family will tell you, I've always moved to my own beats. 
as young as like seven, well, no, like six or seven, I had a cousin named Jeff um, and he passed away when I was seven, going on eight. But he's the person that taught me how to draw and sketch and really gave me the foundation of my love of art. My mom would put me in all these different things. Like she tried to get me to play the piano. She tried to get me to play like the flute. I was like, my lips are too big for that, <laughs> but they're not. I just didn't want to do it. My family, all of us sing in church choir. So the creativity has always been around us. It, they were hobbies. They weren't necessarily careers. Were they yeah. concerned for you when you said you wanted to go and my make a career? My grandma was. My grandma, because I applied to go to Parsons, but I also applied. I was afraid to apply to FIT because you needed to know how to sew to apply. And I was, I had just taught myself how to sew like junior year of high school. I also got like a really great scholarship to SCAD in Atlanta. My grandma, she was like, New York is unsafe. Like, I don't know what she's going to do. But my mom was like, either you can go to SCAD or you can go to New York and go to Parsons and be in like the top school in this field. Uh, she's like, because eventually even if you go to SCAD, you're going to have to go to New York. She's like, so don't be afraid of it. You just got to make a decision and I can't make it for you. Later on, she told me she was terrified. <laughs> um, but I'm glad she like gave me that guidance um, to be like, all right, well, we got to make a decision now. Did I want to make a decision that eventually I would have to make that move anyway? Or make it now and just jump full force? And that was the first time I jumped, you know? And I'm happy I did it. Now I'm a for real New York. I've been here for 12 years now. You were awarded a fellowship here. Yeah, I was awarded in January, moved in February 4th. I basically just transported my home studio here. Now we're here, settled. How and why did you receive it? I transitioned out of fashion industry proper last year. So I was the senior footwear designer at Tibby um, at the top of last year. I had been there for four years. From all the things that I noticed were happening in the marketplace and fashion, I was like, I got to make a move so that my career could be more sustainable in a way that I want it to be for like my spirit, my my, the energy that I want to contribute to the type of work that I'm doing. And the one thing about the fashion industry is that it has its own schedule and it is speedy. And I also noticed that this is not sustainable. Um, it's not just not sustainable for the structure, but it wasn't sustainable for me. So I decided to leave and started doing some freelance work. And I had already started doing like some of this sculptural, abstract work associated with the bags that I was making. So I was trying to find ways in which I could support this work without having to make sure every month I was selling a bag, you know, because I didn't want the same schedule and urgency that I saw in the fashion industry to start impacting my MWR and like my private work, because I saw how it impacted me as a designer and also the work that I was executing. So I started doing some research, talking to a bunch of friends that already are in the art space or that are dabbling in the art space in different ways. And they were like, yeah, girl, you need to start looking at some residencies. And I was like, what is, first of all, what is that? Half of last year, I was just doing research on different grants. And I started making like a schedule of when the grants or when the residencies were taking applications. So I was like, okay, I'll just apply to different things that seem interesting to me. And I had always been in love with museum art and design. Even from going to Parsons, I always visited here, or we used to have classes in this building. Um, so I was familiar with the organization and a lover of their collection. And I was like, okay, so you guys have a fellowship. What does fellowship mean? 
they were like, basically, we give you artist studio space. We give you a stipend to do the work that you already do. Like, <laughs> okay. And how many people were you applying against? I would say at least a few hundred. The iteration that we're in is cycle 33. So they've been doing this 33 <laughs> times. And the caliber of artists that have come out of this place are like, Phenomenal. Like Damian Davis is a phenomenal black artist that I didn't realize also held the fellowship. Anthony Akinola, he is another amazing artist that comes out of this space. It's an honor to also be associated with those people. Coming into it, it kind of was just me being inquisitive and trying to make what I already knew was true about the collection that I had survive. Because I wanted to make sure it was going to be able to survive beyond the capitalism that is the fashion industry, right? And that that urgency of like buy, sell, buy, sell, you know? So how long was the process? I think I applied back in like October, November. We were able to ask questions and talk to the artists and meet like the manager, Marissa, she's amazing. Then we came in for an interview and I had to bring like all past work, not everything, but a good assortment of past work and work that I'm working on right now. I bought tools, I bought everything. Like I bought, thread, I bought uh, my hammers, my mallets, my scissors, everything, because the type of work that I do is not just the final result, but it's also the process and the education around that process. And they were like, oh, you changed the room. And I was like, well, you asked me to bring me and I'm bringing me. The Makers is brought to you by Trade and Prosper. Here we share the stories of individuals and businesses that make our communities. We believe in those who are committed to doing well by doing good, using their hands, minds and hearts to create a better place for us all and believe that a little sweat and a lot of sharing turns a community into a populace of prosperity. Trade and Prosper is a forum where those like-minded individuals meet to trade ideas, information, goods and services, as well as build long-lasting relationships that enable them to expand their reach locally and also globally. For more information on our organization and for more podcast episodes, head over to tradeandprosper.com. Follow us on social media and join our Facebook group to connect with our growing community of creative entrepreneurs. MWR collection and my work is not, it's not one note. It's not just sandbags, you know, it's, it's craftsmanship, it's education. That network comes from me wanting to strive for the education of such things, not just people buying the end product. I want the interactive, the audience to understand that like, oh, wait, she made this by hand. Oh, if I purchase one, we also have a relationship. Oh, if something happens, we can repair. That's not just giving you a bag, that's also teaching you about the tools and the process. So in having that conversation during the interview, they were like, okay, I've learned something today. I was like, yeah, that's good. That's what I want. When people are purchasing, they want to be walking around with your bag, feeling like they're walking around with you. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that's extremely important. I feel like a lot of the the space that I was in in fashion, because everything was going so fast, there was no time for that. So then, as we're selling, the customer's so uneducated, like, so they're only buying for trend instead of for long lasting items or just, just having knowledge, right? Yes. To be able to make more intelligent purchases yes. um, or to have a relationship, 
with what they are purchasing, right? Like the products, even in the fashion industry, they're still being made by a human that works in a factory. You should still know what that process is. You should still be aware of what that means. The problem right? is if people find that out, they might not buy the bag anymore. Yeah, that's the problem. Exactly. Because of the way in which the fashion industry works. <laughs> I'm just carving out my little world and I'm really happy to be at MAD where they've allowed me to. You have a year in here? Uh, no, it's only six months. Oh, six months. Yeah, so I'm here till right. August. So what's your goals then in that six months? Really, my focus is more to grow um, the audience. The great thing about being in this space is that there are so many people that walk into this museum that would have never known who I was at all. Um, but it's nice to also be able to gain some insight in ways that I wasn't able to before. Um, like we were talking about the school groups, the kids are so great at dissecting at the most minimal level of design. Like I'm, over, I'm in here overthinking. It's nice to have like a school group that may come in and be like, what's that? Or why are you using that? And I'm like, actually, I don't. No. You know, or they might even say, why don't you do that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like, it's, it's nice to have a dialogue with people who aren't like saturated in it right, in the way. Yeah. Right. So that I can like really get to the grit of why I'm doing what I'm doing. So that is really um, the one of the focuses, as well as to educate them on the importance of craftsmanship and craftspersonship. What I appreciate about this space is that, um, yes, it's six months, but I'm able to do research about what, I, what I've been doing and also what I want to do in the future. My intent is to reflect on my own personal experiences. So a lot of family narratives are coming up um, and then also dissecting the bags and like making everything minimal again, because it has a minimal es essence, but uh, the philosophy I want to kind of bridge out, which is why I'm doing like tapestries and leather sculptures and really going back to like, why is the stitch this thickness? Why am uh, is the, the whip stitch always in leather? And like zooming in to kind of even more so show you the DNA of the brand. Now, I mean, you when you were at Parsons, you were a runner up for their esteemed Parsons Design of the Year Award. Yeah. So obviously your talents were recognized <laughs> early. <laughs> really early. Yeah, it was crazy. I they called me God Girl. It was weird. Really? <laughs> yeah, my thesis focus, it was crazy. I was making it, had no idea why I was why I was making it, and maybe the few days before, my best friend will tell you, I was like breaking down in my bedroom. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. And it just felt like everything I used to create it was just a gift back to God. It was just a form of worship. And that's kind of, that. that is what I'm doing now. I always say that my sewing machine is my altar. Even with my thesis collection, it was an example of me doing the therapy work that I needed to do to appreciate that my cousin Jeff was the first person that taught me how to sketch, appreciate that my mom bought me my first sewing machine. Coming out of school, I mean, it's always the most challenging time yeah. coming out of any school, and especially art school. Yeah. But did you find that you were able to get employment pretty quickly? I think more of my help came from the amazing um, professors I had. So I specifically had my, he's still my mentor to this day, Howard Davis, um, was my first and only shoe construction teacher. I used to go in between classes and work on the leather machine because he was the only person that had the leather sewing machines. 
So I would go in his room and like make bags, make everything. He's the, one of the people that made me fall in love with leather. Right. One day I was in there just working like, I just want to finish my shoes. Sorry. He just let me come in and he was having a meeting with a woman that was the head of HR at Calvin Klein. I walk in, not paying attention to him or her because I was focused on getting my stuff done. And he was like, this is one of my best students. Her name's Mia. You should like make sure you follow her. And I was like, okay, yeah, whatever. Because I thought he was crazy, didn't know the lady. Um, but then she apparently listened to him and followed me because with the nomination, we were able to show at um, Bergdorf Goodman. We are at Saks Fifth Avenue. Our clothes were in Saks Fifth Avenue. And then we were able to have a um, runway show. So she came to all of that stuff and like saw my final collection. She then like reached out to me. She was like, don't know if you know, but I've been following you a little bit. <laughs> Did you know? Yeah, no, I had no idea. I mean, this wasn't like during Instagram. Instagram was new. Like <laughs> Facebook was there, but nobody was following people like that. Yeah. <laughs> Calvin Klein had always been my number one. Like when I was young, I was like, I'm gonna work for Calvin Klein. And it was my first internship. So, and then became my first job. So, <laughs> so you had your mind done? Yeah, you clearly by the time I was, yeah, this was fresh, uh, what, a year out of college. When I was working at, yeah, 22, 22, yeah. Um, so everything was just because Howard Davis took me under his wing and still takes me under his wing. We still work together. Having mentors in your life, yeah. people you can go to, have more experience. Yeah. It's, it's so valuable. Yeah, especially like I think at Parsons, I, I was so lucky. Like between Howard Davis and Bill Gaskins, those two, they have helped guide me and make me very um, thoughtful about my design process. Not just trying to be out here just to be another brand, but to build a philosophy around myself as an artist. How are you funding yourself? Yeah, so it's been, I mean, it's literally been a labor of love. That's why I worked in the fashion industry for so long. So a lot of it was freelance work, um, working full-time for brands, and then having like MWR at home when I got home. So I, this is probably the first time that I'm, when I go home, I don't have work to do. Yeah, like when I was working at different brands, I would go work for them until whatever time, and sometimes 10 late. at night. I was going to say, yeah, until 9 to 5. 10 at night. Yeah, and then, or 2 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> depending on what week it was. And then would come home and eat dinner, maybe watch, like literally relax for maybe two or three hours. And then at 12 o'clock at night, I met sewing a bag. Um, until three or four. It allowed me to be able to purchase leathers and also the connections I was making at those companies also afforded me to build relationships with tanneries where they would give me wholesale pricing even though I wasn't purchasing wholesale orders. It's been a struggle, but I mean, I'll buy food and then go to a tannery or go to a supplier in the city and buy 200, 300 to $1,000 worth of leather. But that's also why the colors are minimized, because I try to make sure that I'm not buying an abundance of different type of skins. And then I'm also able to work with my suppliers to, if I do have a specialty color, I'm only choosing from dead stock. So that would mean any skins that they may have made that somebody else didn't want, I'll take it on. And that'll be my color for the collections. Because I'm taking material and stock offhand, offhand for them, they usually give me a lower price. Nice. But that's all from learning 
that type of work or that type of negotiation in the industry. So I try to use those same amazing information um, and problem solving. Yeah, that I got. That's but that's why I wanted to work in the industry for so long, because I knew I had to learn under somebody else and not only like travel under them, but also see the problems that we were having. Like people always talk about copywriting and all that stuff. The only thing that you can sue somebody for is a patent, right? Was it like 5% change? Yeah, exactly. And that's they it. can literally yes. change, and they can change a buckle color. Yes. <laughs> and they can be theirs. I tried to replicate these bags in Italy. Went to factories, they were like, so wait, what's this whip stitch? And I was like, oh, it's all hand done. And they're like, wait, it's in leather? I was like, yeah. They were like, well, how are you, how are you doing this? I was like, by hand. I would need, they were like, we're not doing that. Girl, this is a lot of work. How are you doing this? I'm like, well, it has to be possible. Thinking about your business model and thinking about scaling up. Yeah. Do you have vision for that or are you keeping it customized? I don't want to. I don't want to. People ask me all the time, well, RIP Barney's. But people used to ask me like, what happens if Barney's will call you and just say, oh, we need 500 bags and I'm going to tell Barney's, no, you can have 50 in, a, in this amount of time. Because, I mean, I know what it's like. Not only was I making shoes for Calvin Klein, I was also making shoes for Payless and Walmart, you know, because we held the licenses. So I know the, the gamut of where this can go. And I don't think in order to have the impact that I want to have, I need to make more. I don't need everybody to have it. I do need people to, patrons to have it that appreciate it. You know, like, it don't need to be on everybody. That's also why I'm not depending on only the bags, right? So now education is a pivotal part of the, the business structure. The way that I see it is MWR is the line. It's like the merchandise you can purchase, but you can also come and take classes. So you can not only just buy the thing, but you can understand the philosophy. Um, and then also the artwork as well, like working on collaborations, installations, and pop-ups where we're building the whole space from scratch. Like that's what that's also why I do um, the upholstery and the, the chairs and the stools. Um, because to me it grows that way into a lifestyle instead of it being like, okay, now you have a little bag, you have a big bag, and then you have a wallet and buy this in this color and buy this in like, okay, cool. What if I don't want a bag? Maybe I just want to take a class or have an experience, you know? So that's how I'm growing it. You're teaching at the Brooklyn Shoe Space, mm -hmm. and also you've just been taken on as faculty at Parsons. Yeah, yeah. Congratulations for that. Like, yeah, that's where all that came from. Teaching is beautiful. And I think that that's also where, like, when I removed myself from the fashion industry proper, I couldn't find an assistant. And a lot of the people I was working with, they didn't have the knowledge that I had. I need to be able to give what I have, the knowledge that I have back, right? Um, and and not just to another piece of product, right? Like at the time it was making shoes, making bags, somebody buys it, they love it, okay, you don't see them again. The partnership that happens in education is to me is the same type of relationship I'm building when someone comes to purchase a bag or a work of art. It's the last thread that I needed to make everything connect. Thank you for joining me this week on The Makers, brought to you by Trade and Prosper. If you enjoy our show, please follow us and leave a review on iTunes. To be part of our growing community of creative entrepreneurs, join the Trade and Prosper group on Facebook. 
Tune in next week for a conversation with Phil O'Brien, creator of West 42nd Street, a print magazine made with quality, authenticity, and community in mind.